From South Bend, Indiana, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. I started to see a potential career path with it. Um, I think, you know, as with the first role that, that we had, you know, it, it, it kind of, uh, you know, we had more of a technician type of role. So going to school for an engineer and getting a master's degree, you know, being being sort of the technician is what you initially assume the, the career path is. But then as you learn the applications and what you can do with it and um, all the other uh, offshoots in the industry that are that are relevant to it, you start to learn all the other kind of career paths within that. That was Jordan Weston. Jordan is now a full-time employee with the Added Manufacturing Users Group Conference, having previously spent a number of years supporting and leading AM efforts at the Milwaukee School of Engineering. He joins the show today to talk about his journey and what he's done in the Added Manufacturing space. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. Remember, you can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. Also, if you or anyone in your company are looking for materials, qualification, or data management software support, reach out to the team through our website or via email at info at 3degreescompany.com. All right, Jordan, thanks so much for joining the show today. I'm excited to hear your journey into additive. Um, so for people who don't know you, um, maybe let's start at the beginning. So where were you born? Um, what were some of those early interests that you had that kind of may have set some of the roots for what you're doing today? Yeah, yeah. So uh, thanks again for having me on here. And uh, I'll start with a little background. So I'm uh, I'm from uh, a small town in Wisconsin, um, about an hour northwest of the city of Milwaukee. Um, as a kid, I was always interested in, you know, engineering and basically um, taking things apart and putting them back together. Uh, sometimes not always putting them back together. But uh, always had an interest in how things worked and and um, and building things. And uh, after uh, graduating high school, I uh, attended Milwaukee School of Engineering and uh, went for a, a program for biomedical engineering. Do you remember any specific things you were taking apart or like were you doing yeah. like different? I specifically scouts, remember when I couldn't get back that, together. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I think probably when I was uh, maybe. 13, 14 years old, uh, for some reason I decided to take apart uh, a dad's weed trimmer and uh, like disassembled the entire engine, took everything out and uh, wasn't able to to get it back together. I don't know why I did it, but he was definitely not pleased um, with that. But I, I learned a lot about <laughs> how engines worked and, and things like that. But that's, that's one in particular that I remember as um, something that I really learned the most, but also sort of failed at uh getting it back together so i realized that you know i have to be a little careful with overconfidence <laughs> as well and so you mentioned biomedical what was did you have a particular interest in kind of the medical space or what kind of some of the i guess multidisciplinary nature of of that degree what was the draw there i did yeah so um my mom was a nurse so always kind of had an influence from the medical side um so that was always interesting as well let's say if i didn't do biomedical i probably would have done uh, mechanical but ended up making the decision to pursue biomedical do you remember the first time you saw 3d printing it was at msoe 
Um, it was our freshman year. We had a uh, part of our program was sort of a intro to the design process. Um, so it was uh, basically the, the the freshman design course, I think it was called. And uh, at that, at a certain point, they introduced us to all of the resources available at the university. So they took us through the machine shop, and then we had an actual rapid prototyping center there, um, which students had access to, but mainly um, the, the the primary um, function of the rapid prototyping center at Milwaukee School of Engineering was actually to um, support uh, businesses through a consortium and, and a kind of an educational, uh, the how, the when, the where, the why, to use additive manufacturing in a professional um, aspect. But uh, as I said, the uh, resources at the center were available to students. So that was where I was first introduced to it. And um, I, I definitely didn't understand it fully the first time I saw it. But uh, ironically, I, I ended up working there um, later on in my undergraduate uh, career there. So so were you doing like a um, kind of work study type of thing? Or was there a class that you kind of got in involved with the uh... The rapid prototype. Yeah, so it it was uh it, it was called uh the position was called undergraduate research assistant. Um, I had a I had a good friend uh, that was also going for biomedical engineering. Um, he had started working there a few months before me, and I think this was probably my my sophomore year uh, that he had started working there towards the end of that. And um, as the the summer break was approaching, I had seen that there was a few opportunities for undergraduate research assistant positions asked him about it, asked him, you know, like what he thought of it. And he was very interested and did a very good job selling it for me. So um, put in an application there and ended up getting hired and started that summer between my sophomore and my junior year and um, really, really learned a lot. So as I said, it is primarily set up to support a consortium of about 40 to 45 companies. Um, many of them in the Milwaukee area, but some of them international. Um, some of the, the the key companies in the Milwaukee area were Harley Davidson, um, Snap-on, Masterlock, Kohler Company. So a lot of the the Milwaukee Midwest companies. We also did a lot of work for Bombardier Recreational Products, um, and uh, it was a, a very um, kind of a unique setup. So it's it's a commercially viable center within a university. So it. It, they covered their own cost through the the, the paid professional work that was done, um, and almost it was kind of like the uh, the farm system for uh, additive manufacturing experts. So they hired typically between twelve to fifteen undergraduate and graduate students, uh, trained them how to operate the machines as well as you know set up uh, quote and set up parts for actually running the projects, um, uh, post processing, finishing. Uh, quality control. So basically from start to finish, um, the students were given the opportunity to uh, basically see that whole process and actually interact with real customers, actual, you know, engineers and designers from from these companies. So really, a, really a hands on kind of on the job training. So um, the students were, were divided into kind of process teams. So each one focused on different processes, team of four or five. Um, I started off with um, SLS or laser sintering um, and eventually started kind of learning the other processes. At that time, we had SLS, we had stereolithography, SLA, 
We had an FDM machine from Stratasys, and we had, um, at the time it was uh, Z Corp, uh, the binder jetting um, full color printer um, as well. So um, ended up working there for the, uh, through my undergraduate, so, um, you know, through my senior year. And then uh, at the time, actually, a, a graduate um, position opened up as well and decided to um, continue to stay at MSOE and pursue a master's degree and um, spent a couple more years as a graduate uh, graduate student, graduate intern as well. Awesome. Do you have a particular project you remember that you could talk about? Definitely a lot of projects. Um, most of them we couldn't talk about mm-hmm. because they were proprietary. Yeah. Um, I would say some of the interesting ones, though, were, um, you know, with my background in being biomedical, um, I really was attracted or drawn to the medical applications that we had done there. Um, one of the projects that that was ongoing through my entire career at Milwaukee School of Engineering, so a good 14 or 15 years, we did some pre-surgical planning models um, where they would take, you know, we would we would end up getting the, the, the STL ready for print, but, you know, upstream from that, they would start with a CT scan. Um, they would segment out the bone model and they would put that onto a platform um, to kind of hold that or mount that in place. And then they would, um, these were patients that were, um, they had uh, severe uh, deterioration in their hips. Many of them already had a hip implant and continued to have, have deterioration. So these were kind of the next level from the, um, you know, standardized hip implant um, materials that are out there. So this these were actual custom fit. So uh, the role that we played is we we printed the actual hip um, model that was segmented from the the DICOM files from CT, and then um, the they also designed um, the, the the company, not MSOE, but they also designed the custom fit implants that basically would fit into that um, bone model that we would print. So we would eventually send those out, and those would go into the actual surgeon's hands, and they had a three D printed model of the hip, and they had a three D printed model of the what would eventually be the titanium implant, and they could do the the basically the dry run of the surgery using these models, um, you know, before having the patients on the operating table. So that was kind of one of those applications that really stuck with me. Like, wow, we are really we're really doing something that is affecting and, and helping people, and and it was. Um, Kind of a, a kind of a crazy process when you thought about it. When you know a model would come in, um, you would print them and ship them out in a couple of days, and you know they were very transparent with us um, in when they needed that because they would say something along the lines of, "Well, we have this surgery scheduled two weeks out from today, so we need these models, you know, now." So it was <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> a little high stakes. Um, and I'm sure, as you're aware, these um, these machines sometimes aren't the most uh, reliable. So if something would uh, break or go wrong or a print crashed, um, it could be a little stressful, but also the the impact that uh, that that we had um, on this project was pretty, um, that, that really resonated with me. Like, I felt like we were really doing something, really making a difference. And did you have in, my, in your mind that you wanted to kind of make a career out of the technology, at, like added manufacturing and kind of being in the, seeing all the it, stuff you were doing in the RP lab? It probably took a few years before it finally clicked where I started to see a potential career path with it. Um, I think, you know, as 
with the first role that that we had, you know, it it, it kind of, uh, you know, we had more of a technician type of role. So going to school for an engineer and getting a master's degree, you know, being being sort of the technician is what you initially assume the the career path is. But then as you learn the applications and what you can do with it and um, all the other uh, offshoots in the industry that are that are relevant to it, you start to learn all the other kind of career paths within that. And that was eventually, um, I'm skipping ahead a little bit, I ended up becoming um, uh, operations manager of that center. And that was something that I really wanted to help our students, our undergraduate students understand, was there are there are plenty of careers in the additive manufacturing industry. And they're not just, you know, the, the, the sort of um, technician roles where you're constantly setting up a machine, um, breaking out parts, post-processing, things like that. Um, and and I, I, I push to help them understand that their knowledge is extremely valuable in an industry that has um, grown so rapidly in the last decade and that there's a huge need for um, people with that, you know, two, three years experience um, that, that we were, you know, graduating students with that experience, um, huge need for that in the industry. So they were very... You know, it, it, I felt I felt it important to, you know, if they wanted to pursue a career in that, help them understand where, where all their options lie. Were there any common denominators for, I would say, people that were more successful than others, right? Was there like a certain skill set that if they had you like, oh, these guys are going to do well or mindset or just personality type that like, hey, you if you're new to the industry, right, or if you're trying to work on your own career, like you've seen hundreds, maybe thousands of people go through the program, go through the lab at this point, get jobs in all sorts of different parts of the industry. What do you think sets kind of the the top five or 10% apart? It's definitely the mindset. Um, I think, uh, and especially once he started getting to the year 2013, 14, 15, where by the time you were dealing with students in that sort of um, time period, a lot of them had already had access to 3D printing in middle school, high school, um, as it became more available um, uh, and widespread in the years prior to that. And, you know, also a lot of them had their own, um, uh, you know, like a Prusa or some of the lower cost 3D printers as well that um, I think that they had that, that mindset and that passion of, wanting to be hands-on with equipment, understand really how it works, um, how to troubleshoot things, how to solve problems with it. And then I think um, that mindset of learning on the lower cost sort of entry level um, machines and then giving someone an opportunity to, to, to apply that knowledge that they, they developed on, on their machine at home or at school, but do it on a quarter million to a $500,000 machine. I think a lot of them really you know, um, we're drawn to that. And uh, those are the ones that, you know, the ones that were very passionate about 3D printing or additive were the ones that um, very easily transitioned into the um, industry. So I can probably think of probably a, a, a few dozen that ended up graduating um, and going to OEMs, service bureaus, working at uh, managing labs at the companies that they went to go work for. Um, and a lot of them, um, 
you know, still stay in touch with as well. And it's a pretty small industry. So you'll see them at events and trade shows and things like that. So, and over that time, as you're kind of running, managing the lab there, what was changing with the companies in the consortium? Were you seeing different types of projects coming in or different questions that people were asking of you guys and evolving into their relationship with you? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Uh, when I started, uh, it was it was 2008, and that was kind of that time period where just producing a part was was pretty valuable. Um, just having something in hand versus looking at a, a CAD model or a simulation or something like that. And um, as additive became more adopted by all the consortium members, you started seeing these members bring all their these machines in house, especially the 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 lower barrier to entry um, machines, such as the FDM or FFF, which you know can pretty easily sit in an office format um, and are very accessible to teams of engineers, or if they had a lab built out for things like that. Um, uh, the other processes that were more suitable for like a lab environment, like uh, laser sintering with, you know, powder everywhere, um, uh, photopolymers with a lot of resins and, and um, uh, chemicals for cleaning and post-processing. Those were the ones that we sort of, it sort of shifted towards um, the, the ones that were requ required in a lab environment were initially the ones that kind of stayed in house. And then as the uh, lower barrier to entry ones um, were adopted by them, we kind of saw that drop a little bit um, until you started getting into higher, um, higher requirements, better mechanical properties than something a lower cost machine could do. Um, uh, higher temperature materials, right? Like the Altems or the um, Peaks, uh, things like that. So eventually, you know, just it, it, it definitely evolved from just a, a prototype or a concept into more of a, um, a requirement that it has, you know, functional or uh, more aesthetic or even um, or just really along the whole time we started getting into developing not just prototypes, but pathways for using additive for production. And it was a lot of times it was very niche production applications where it just made sense where it was the right volumes, the right size, um, the right um, factors that justified using additive versus other um, traditional manufacturing techniques. Yep. And along that time, I mean, there'll be a thread of AMUG in there. When 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 did you hear about AMUG? What was your first kind of inter interaction? Or maybe for those who don't know about it, maybe let's just start. What is AMUG? <laughs> sure, sure. So... Um, AMUG is who I'm currently working with, but it's the Additive Manufacturing Users Group. Um, it's been it's been around since basically the inception of additive manufacturing. It started as a 3D systems user group, um, and initially it was for uh, owners and operators of 3D systems machines. That was probably well before my time uh, in the industry. Is I think the late 80s or early 90s. Um, uh, a group of uh, users would meet annually to discuss applications, troubleshootings, problem solvings, um, you know, kind of sharing the thorns and roses uh, with the technology with each other. Um, 
that has since grown to being open to all users of the industry. So it shifted or pivoted away from only 3D systems equipment to being open to all technologies, um, polymers and metals, um, as well as other, you know, ceramics and other processes of additives. So uh, a very agnostic, technology agnostic um, user group now. I first went there in, I believe it was 2012, and it was it was either the first or the second year where they pivoted and, and they did open it up to the um, the rest of the industry. And, um, you know, my, my boss at the time, my manager at the time, had offered to to attend this conference and user group meeting. And um, he was like, you can go if you'd like, but if you're going to travel to a conference, you're going to present. So you better start thinking of something that you want to share. So uh, the very first year of attending AMUG, uh, again, it was 2012. I uh, was thrown into the mix and I gave a 30 minute presentation on, you know, our processes at MSOE for recycling um, SLS nylon 12 materials. So was that Costa um, Mesa? Was that the, it was Costa Mesa. I think yeah. that was my first one. That's probably where we met. I, th- I probably went I, I to think your, it is, I pro- yeah. I probably went to your talk. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> were, I was you, doing SLS you stuff. In a, were you in the technical competition that year as well? I, I, with John I think that's Cross where I remember at meeting with the, yeah, um, exactly. Burton, yeah. the binding. Yep. Yeah. 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 So it, it it's funny, too, because at that time, um, you know, th- th- this was sort of coinciding with the growth of the industry. I think there was probably 250 people that had attended that year and and, and everybody was just talking about the, the amazing growth. It, I think it grew 60 percent that year. So the, the previous year it was 100 and something. And then that year it was 250. And then it, it continued to grow, you know. 40 to 60, 70 percent year over year. So in the time of my first year attending to, you know, towards um, the 2018, 2019, it it grew from like 250 people to like 2000 people that had attended. So it evolved quite a bit during that time as well. So um, so first year presented, I think the second and third year I also presented and um Eventually, someone had asked me, would you like to volunteer and, and contribute more to the um, organization? So one thing um, to note for those who aren't familiar with Additive Manufacturing User Group is primarily um, it's run by a volunteer board of directors. So it's a working board of directors and um, uh, several committees with volunteer members of those um, committees. And uh I was given the opportunity to to be um, on the track leader committee, and it, I think it was just called track leaders at that time. But um, essentially, the responsibility was to help recruit um, speakers for that particular track. And as my background was SLS or laser sintering, um, primarily, I, I was asked to to be the track leader for the laser sintering track. So I think for another one or two years, I um, would reach out and recruit people to to speak on all things laser centering and eventually that turned into um it was sort of consolidated into a few other tracks um eventually became the education and training track and i i ran that for a couple of years and um uh eventually uh i i kind of threw my hat in the ring to uh, run for a board of directors position and in i believe it was 2021 um, there's a position called director of education and conference, which primarily oversees a lot of the content and the agenda, um, works with a lot of the track leaders, has a bit of oversight on the, 
um, keynote speakers and all the morning sessions and, and things like that, as well as other educational components of the conference. So we had offered tours for um, attendees to um, go tour local companies. Um, we had offered free conference training certification courses, um, you know, through working with ASTM and SME and UL for courses like that. So, um, yeah, it's sort of, it all started with 2012 and basically saying, if you want to go to this, you need to present and just kind of year over year, it sort of escalated into becoming more and more, more and more involved with it. That's awesome. And so yeah. what is, what is your kind of current role there? So I just started a new role um, in, it was around seven, seven or eight months ago. I started in June of 2023. And um, as I mentioned earlier, AMUG had first, most of its history had primarily been run by volunteer board and a, and a, a group of volunteer committees. And over time, you know, as that, as the growth of that conference happened from, you know, a 200 person to a 2000 person conference, um, they started bringing in, you know, some outside help, contractors, vendors, things like that. So um, eventually it started pivoting towards having paid, um, not quite employees, but paid vendors and contractors managing um, specific um, kind of operational um, roles within the organization. And then uh, eventually, eventually the board of directors, um, uh, decided to bring on an actual employee. Um, so uh, over the the last few years, that was sort of developed into a role. Um, the the role is called operations manager, and that um, primary uh, responsibility of that is to kind of manage the the vendors and the contractors, as well as keep a lot of the volunteer committees on on track and on schedule. Um, through the course of a year, there's a lot of things that have to happen. You know, a lot of the primary primary planning starts, you know, a few months after the conference and then things start to escalate and then they eventually peak a few months before the conference and then it happens and it's kind of cycles and, and repeats. So um, the, the concept of the operations manager was to make sure things are happening on time, on schedule, as well as manage the vendors, contractors, um, the, the contracts that they have with the organizations as well as keep them uh, on track. So you can understand like it, or think about if it, as that grew and you started bringing on contractors and then volunteers, so you have contractors reporting to volunteers and some contractors reporting to other contractors. And um, the employee role was kind of created to, to centralize that um, and sort of uh, funnel a lot of these branches into the one primary point of contact. So um, I, was interested in that role when it was developed and applied for it and um, was uh, was hired in um, June of 2023 as um, AMUG's first and and still only uh, employee. <laughs> so it was kind of an exciting uh, exciting opportunity and 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 um, definitely have been enjoying it so far. And you want to talk a little bit about kind of what's it, registration is still open. So I mean, what's kind of coming up this year for AMUG is back in Chicago and. Want to give yep, a little preview yep. of kind of what's um, what you've been working on? What's what kind of the the new stuff that's that's coming out? Sure, sure. So registration is still open. Um, the conference is in Chicago at the Chicago Hilton. We've held that there a few times in the past. Um, it is going to be March 10th through 14th. Um, so it starts uh, Sunday evening with some activities, and then 
uh, the keynotes and presentations will be that Monday through Thursday. Um, we are just about to release a uh, agenda for the um, the full agenda for the whole week. Um, there are a lot of sessions, probably probably close to two hundred or so wow. sessions that are that are um, that our track leader committees and our um, sponsors have have put together. So very excited for that. Um, one of the differentiators of AMUG is it's it's really um, it's really built around networking and learning. Um, so it's not a conference where you attend, you know, keynote and go to a few breakouts and and then you know go to meet with a colleague and go get dinner at some restaurant outside of the conference. It's really built to keep everybody under the same roof the entire time. So. It's um, sort of an all-inclusive package. So, you know, when you register for AMUG, you are signing up for Sunday night through Thursday afternoon. And it's also including food and beverage through the entire week. So that's very different from other um, conferences, both within the industry and yeah. and You and don't go elsewhere. hungry for anyone. You will not, not go hungry at AMUG, <laughs> no. No, exactly. So, um, but again, it's set up like that to to promote um, networking, interactions, meeting new people, um, discussing, uh, you know, what's working with additive, what's not working, how do we continue moving this forward and develop these applications. So um, every evening has uh, some networking events scheduled. The first few evenings will be um, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night will be uh, the AMUG Expo, where our sponsors and exhibitors will have um kind of a expo trade uh trade fair i won't say trade show but uh expo vendor fair kind of thing set up um and uh the the following evenings will have um you know there there will be a, a special event and dinner which will be an off-site event there will be a um the final night then would be a, a networking event typically they'll do like a casino night and just things to kind of promote Promote meeting new people, networking activities, things like that. So it's yeah. uh, you will not, as you said, you will not go hungry, and you will be exhausted um, at the conclusion of the event. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, yeah, it's always been something. I mean, I think I've only missed one maybe in that since 2012, and I think we we had a uh, a different perspective in the sense that kind of start as going as as a student presenting, kind of getting a booth eventually and kind of being on the expo side. And so it's always um, excited that now this year it's two, uh, instead of two nights, three nights of the expo and getting to meet everyone mm -hmm. that's there. And so it's a certainly recommend it in terms of um, a unique experience with an additive and people are often more forthcoming um, whether that's uh, on, on the realities of additive, right. Um, and, and how you can work together. So um so that's awesome. Um, I guess when, as you've kind of flipped into the, 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 an even more broader role in terms of seeing the additive industry, like what, what are you excited about going into 2024? Maybe not AMUG related, but like you see it and interact with a lot of companies, right? Like there's been a lot of changes in the last six months with, um, different companies and different technologies. But what what kind of keeps you excited about what you're seeing and some of the the new news and new new features that people are are talking about? I think we're, you know, we we're kind of going through a period of a lot of mergers and acquisitions, and 
I think that that's kind of exciting as we um, sort of start to narrow the focus on what the applications, the specific applications are for each process and each technology. That's one of the things too that that really has evolved over the last decade or so is, you know, when I started, everybody had a machine that they claimed could do everything. And, um, you know, it's the, the kind of, if you have a hammer, everything's a nail. Um, whereas I think we're really starting to see the applications drive the, the processes instead of the processes trying to drive the applications. Um, so seeing a lot of uh, kind of narrowing down of that focus on, you know, sort of each machine or each process is a specific tool in that toolbox. And, um, you know, there's still quite a bit of innovation that we're seeing in the industry. One of the, um, you know, I'll jump back to my career at MSOE. One of the things that we also did was um, provided a, a beta testing site for um, new technologies in the industry. So we um, uh, would beta test new materials, new processes from companies like Stratasys, 3D Systems. Uh, we had beta tested the Carbon DLS system very early when they had launched that. I think we were one of the one of the first companies or one of the first locations or facilities to bring in um, that that technology when it was new. Um, right when I was um, transitioning out of MSOE, we um, brought in a, a extra 3D printer, which I thought was really interesting because it was very different, very game changing from. Um, what you had seen as far as innovations in the photopolymer industry. So um, for those who aren't familiar with that, instead of uh, um, being either or laser or um, uh, uh, D DLP process, it actually combines both so that you can get the benefits of the speed of, of um, uh, DLP, but the accuracy of a, a laser system. And um, don't want to make it sound like a product pitch for them, but that was definitely something I was very excited to see. And one of the things I was uh, sad to to leave uh, behind because I think that there were a lot of um, cool applications that could be done with that. And they're not the only ones. There's a lot of other companies that are still kind of pushing uh, limits and 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 what these processes can do, and they're continuing to evolve. And and again, I think it comes down to um, applications and you know each technology evolving into being a specific tool for a specific application rather than a, a one size fits all. So awesome. Cool. Well, I'm I'm excited for it, and I think there's a lot of cool stuff coming coming down the way. So, last question, more of a fun question. Um, uh, what's a book or a piece of literature, or something that's kind of inspired you over your career that you kind of either return to or kind of gain some knowledge from that you would like to share with with the audience? Okay, you may stump me on that. <laughs> Admittedly, I don't read very much. Um, could be a podcast, could be something else. Yeah. 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 I think, uh, I, I definitely like to, um, read about, you know, kind of not, not, not necessarily like the length of a book, but smaller pieces of, um, literature or, um, you know, I don't want to say press releases, but just, I, I like to see what is new day to day in the industry actually. So, um, you know, I have uh, a couple bookmarks of uh, uh, on my browser for um, some of the bigger, um, you know, media companies within the additive industry, and um, I definitely check in on that very often to kind of see what's what's happening, what's new, um, and that you know when I see that you know, and then attend events like AMUG or other additive conferences, 
um, something that catches my interest on those press releases, I immediately go to check those out and start asking questions to see if you can kind of filter out the noise from reality. So um, that's probably the, 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 the best answer I could come up with for that question. So right on. Yeah. Cool. Well, Jordan, thanks so much for sharing your story. Uh, I look forward to seeing you at AMUG and for anyone who's interested, it's what AMUG.com or added manufacturing users group.com. Registration. Yep. yep. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Cool. We'll see you in five, six weeks. All right. Well, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure to be here and looking forward to seeing you.